All right, well, some of you are probably glad that that uh, two and a half minutes of awkward is over. For all the fellow introverts out there, I masquerade as an extrovert, but I'm really not. They, t- they say you can tell by what you want to do with your day. If you uh, could do anything, how would you spend your day? And I would go hike in the mountains by myself. Um, so I, that's how I know I am, in fact, an introvert. But um, Well, welcome, welcome again. Um, I'm off my break now, so back to work. Um, if you haven't met me before, I'm Wayne. I do music up here from time to time. Um, and Jeff texted me and said he was going to be away this weekend and that he needed someone to fill in quickly. And he gave me a one sentence, like, teach him about what it practically means to live the home run life, like I'm the expert on it. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. But I have some insight that I want to share with you. I think there was something that we kind of missed. Um, and not necessarily, I mean, we can't cover everything. It would take, like, a lifetime to, to cover everything. But one thing that, that really stood out to me and, uh, is that we're missing in the home run life um, is the fact that we are, we are a team, we're on a mission, uh, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have accepted Christ and you proclaim him, then that makes us members of the same team, we're on God's team, and together me and you are on a mission in this world for a purpose, and that's really what the home run life is all about, and that's why we're trying to, I'm going to use this baseball metaphor as best I can, you see, I'm not really an athlete, I was a choir boy, um, and so I, yeah, I can honestly say I never really played a sport before. Um, I like rock climbing because it's an introvert sport. You don't have to talk to anyone. You just go climb by yourself. <laughs> and so it works out really well for me. Um, but the mission. And so I want to, I'm going to, we're going to go through like a whole bunch of different scriptures tonight. So kind of put on your seatbelt because we're going to go really quick here. But to confirm the mission, if some of you know I am a teacher and I like my PowerPoint. So I got my own clicker tonight. So here we go from Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and I'm just going to read this aloud for all of us. And it says, uh, this is Paul writing, he says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You see, as we're doing this home run life thing, there is someone that's playing against us. And that's really what tonight is. Tonight's kind of like we're going to do a Bible study on Satan, which you've probably never really done before. Um, because who would buy that Bible study? <laughs> I don't know, like Satan right on the cover. Um, but it's quite honestly important that we understand who it is that we're fighting against and what it is that we're actually trying to do with our life so that we can honor and glorify God through it. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. Bummer. Um, And against, oh, there it is. (laughs) Thanks for the backup there. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So that is really the mission. That is what we're doing. Um, So the question is tonight, one, if you're a believer in Christ, do you actually believe that this is the mission and does your life reflect that? And so we're going to talk about how the enemy tries to get us to not really focus on that because that is what it's all about. That is what we're fighting against. I'm going to hope my clicker comes. Nope. So just kind of follow along as best you can back there. Here we go. All right, so here's our home run life. And we've kind of gone through. We've done uh, a few weeks of this. So we've talked about connecting with God and character and community and, and competence and what all those things mean. And if you haven't, you can go and um, look at uh, past sermons. Go to pipeline.church. You can find them all there. Um, so what, again, I want to put in the middle of all of this home run life is... Satan, the adversary. Satan actually means the adversary. He's the one that we're fighting against. And so if we're going to be fighting against Satan, we might want to know who he is. Now, if I want to go on with the sports metaphor, again, things that I don't really know because I didn't play sports, but I understand that when you play sports and you're playing against a team, what you want to do is you want to study your opponents. 
And so for football people, they might be sitting there in the back watching the film of their opponent so they know that when they're playing a certain team, if the receiver's going to normally go to the inside or the outside or whatever it might be. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So tonight I'm kind of going to be like coach, and we're really just going to watch the film on Satan and see what he's done before. So with that, let's learn about the character of Satan. And so these are some of the things that we know about him. Uh, This is from Job. And this one kind of gets to me, really. Uh, Of course it is. That's why I put it in here. Let me preface this. Because I came here Friday night, and I I was putting these slides together. I put the kids to bed, and then I, I came here, and I was working, and it was awesome, and I was putting it all together. And then I'm like, we need to add some slides about the character of Satan. And as soon as I added these slides into our pro presenter application that we use here, kind of like PowerPoint, I clicked enter and the entire thing crashed. <laughs> no joke, like it crashed. And so it took me, and then I, uh, I tried to figure it out, but I couldn't because as soon as you open it back up, pff, crashes. Restart the computer, open it back up, crashes. I'm like, oh man, I ruined everything. And I texted Jeff. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know, it's all down. <laughs> Which is not what you want to hear when you're not going to be here because he wasn't in town anymore. And uh, I didn't, it took about 45 minutes later, I had to go back and delete everything that I did and start over again, um, because that file was just corrupt somehow, somehow, I don't know. Um, (laughs) And so the one thing I didn't do, and sorry, Jeff, because I know he's going to listen to this, is I didn't text him afterward and say, hey, don't worry, it's fixed. I got a text from him the next morning, like, man, I couldn't sleep last night. (laughs) I'm like, oh, (laughs) my bad, bad communication. So I really think Satan doesn't want you to know about this. I don't think he wants us to do character studies on who he is because we're going to figure out what he's done and not that it's going to be easy and he's going to stop anymore, but at least we know what's coming our way. So the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth on it. (sighs) Yeah, he's here. He's definitely here. This was a conversation they were having in Job and it goes on to say, do you know Job? And he's like, yeah, I know Job. Like, man, do you know Wayne? Oh, yeah, I know him. He does? He knows me? That's kind of intimidating. He actually knows who I am. Let's check the next one. Uh, In 1 Peter, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay, well, we know he's roaming around from the first one. But he's roaming around looking for someone to devour. He's I mean, we live in a material world, and he operates in a spiritual world, but he's here. He's in our midst, and he loves to try to take us down. Um, This is a good one. So in John, we find this scripture, and it's uh, the, the intro is a little bit, just to give you some context, it says, you are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself, and Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And here's our character of Satan verse. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the first one who ever lied when he came into the garden and tried to tempt humanity and succeeded. So he's a liar, he's a murderer, and he's here. That should be kind of like, kind of serious. And one more. Now this is one that's maybe a bit more surprising. 
Um, Because I've talked to some people who've been Christians for quite some time, they didn't even really realize this. It says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Who's the prince of the world? Satan's the prince of the world. Yikes. So he's the prince of the world, and he's coming around trying to devour us like lions. He's a liar, and he's a murderer. And that's who we're fighting against. So we do need to have some strategy. We do need to have that armor of God. We need to have the truth, and we need to have the faith, the shield of faith that takes out the arrows from the enemy. Because without it, that's a pretty, on our own, I don't think we're going to stand up to this. Next, so here's our, uh, where we left off here. And we have our home run life, and we have our adversary. So what I'm going to do is uh, kind of click you through what it might look like and what you're going to see as you're in different places. Now, what I really want you to focus on is like, where are you? Because as I'm going to go through this, I'm going to do the whole cycle, and you're probably on here somewhere. I may not call out exactly what it is and how he's attacked you, but it's got to be somewhere in the realm of what's going to happen. So first, there it is. We start here. We're in the dugout. I think we all pretty much start here. I was in the dugout for about 25 years myself, um, not really knowing where, where to go. I mean, should I stand up and start walking? There were places that I kind of thought I wanted to go, but I'm going to need two clicks on the next one, actually, because there's a, yeah, there it is. Um, If we decide to get up, he's going to attack us with two things, and I call them unbelief or unworthy. Now, for those of you who've heard me speak once before, or we've had a conversation, you might know that I'm a science teacher, um, which people think is kind of funny because I'm a Christian and evangelist science teacher. Like, really? Um, unbelief. The first thing that Satan might try to do is say, this isn't even real. He's not even real. He's not even going to speak into your ear and necessarily say, hey, this isn't real, because then he's giving himself away, right? But if he can convince you that none of this even exists, then he's won, because the only thing that matters is getting around the bases and giving glory to God by doing that. And so if Satan can convince you that God's not even real, He's one. Now, there may be two ways that he can do that. One of them, I'm a science teacher, so I like science. And science will tell you that God is not real. God's a logical fallacy. It's the appeal to divine authority, if you want to go back to, like, the technical terms that I learned in my communications class when I was in college. The appeal to divine authority is not a legitimate appeal, so you can't ever say God did it. So you can't legitimately claim God to be the creator of anything. Um, Scientifically, we just try to disprove him. If you say God in any scientific debate... It doesn't really work. So we talk about uh, different kinds of scientific theories and how some people have tried to prove that life could be created by a certain kind of earth atmosphere, and then the lightning strikes and creates amino acids, and those amino acids can eventually turn into DNA chains and create life. That's the best we have right now, but honestly, science will tell you that we don't really know where life comes from because none of that really works. And so putting your faith in science is a little bit, as a science teacher, I feel like I can say this, it's a little crazy to put your faith in science, because science is constantly changing. And science, good science, can be corrected. And it is corrected. If you believe the science from 300 years ago, people would think you're a little bit crazy now. But now, for some reason, we think we have it all figured out. And 300 years from now, the science that we understand is probably going to be ripped apart. I didn't really want to go on this too much, but I find some interesting things in science. I found an article that talked about 
the uh, genetic Adam and Eve, and, and realizing how that, as science kind of approaches understanding what that actually is, and they say that we all came from the same woman about 6,000 years ago and from the same man uh, several thousand, couple thousand, two to three thousand years later, which actually fits the biblical story. I don't have time to go into that because that's a whole other sermon. Uh, they did a, another research thing, and they found that the first snake had feet. Isn't that weird? Like, they thought snakes were how life got from the ocean to the land, and now they're saying, well, no, the first snake had feet. So it kind of blows scientific theory out the water. So there's the scientific view. This is not actually happening. We can explain all of this. We have the ability to comprehend this world on our own. The other way that he'll try to disprove God, which is what I hear the most and what I understood for a long time. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I didn't become a Christian until I was a year into marriage. I think I was 25 at the time. Um... I come from a logically-minded family. And so I thought unbelief, um, how could there be a God? Like, really? When the world's as broken as it is, when there's kids that are starving, kids that are dying from AIDS, women getting raped, how could God be real? How could he create this and watch this happen? There's a song that I really like. It's by uh, Matthew West, and I'm just going to say a few of the words. But it says, I couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty and children sold into slavery. That thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Are we supposed to be the ones that go and do something? Are we the ones not doing all those things? Are we the ones not feeding the children, taking care of the orphans? We can always find that answer if we look at ourselves, but we'll always ask God, why, why, why? We're sitting here wondering, some of us, I know, like, why doesn't God come back already? Like, it's been 2,000 years, and he said he would come back, and he's not here yet. Scripture tells us, Matthew 24, 14 says, when everyone has heard the gospel, then the end will come. So if we look at God and say, oh, why didn't you come back yet? What took you so long? He's going to look at you and be like, dude, what took you so long? All you had to do was tell everybody. So there's your unbelief and then unworthy. Um, I had a student named Amy down in San Diego, and she was 20 years old, and she was still trying to finish her high school diploma. She um, had been strung out on heroin for six years, since she was 14 years old. And she opened up and told me this. And finally, one night, I know it's like his teachers in the school, and you don't really want to be like, uh, you know, it's like there's that, you're not supposed to talk about the God and evangelize the students. But at some point, things just, it doesn't matter. And so I talked to her, and I said, Amy, you know, Christ is like the only way that you're ever going to find the power to get out of this. And she said, I know, I just need to get myself cleaned up first, and then I can go to church. I was like, no, that's not how it works. Like, you need to go there to get, to get right, to find the power to be able to do it. But I know that there's people in here who've been in that exact same spot before, and you feel like you're unworthy around the church people because we come here and we all put on our pretty faces. But really, we have struggles inside, too. And we all have questions, and we all have had the feeling of unbelief, of unworthiness. And that's okay, but we need to come past that. And that takes other Christians coming alongside. So the other thing that Satan's going to want to do, if he can't get you with the unbelief, and the, well, he, even if he does get you with the unbelief and the unworthiness, he doesn't want you to connect with God. He says success is over here. He wants you to just win results. Because that's what the world does. The world runs the bases backwards. And Paul says, don't conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed. So we're not going to, as Christians, run the bases backwards. And there's really good reason for that. 
But Satan has no, he's the prince of the world. He can give it if he wants to. Um, so that success is over here. Now what we get trapped in is this idea of the American dream. And that's what we strive after. Having all the stuff, getting all the things. People admire us. We've won success. But we don't have integrity. I don't know if any of you have met people like that before. People without any personal integrity. You can get what you want. You just got to step on everyone else's throat to get it. But you can do that. And you, it'll work. You'll get to third base and you'll be having a party. But you're not going to be scoring for God's team. You're not going to be honoring him. You're not going to be glorifying him with what you do. Can we get the next? There it is. So uh, as proof of that, I've got to give you some scripture. Now this is the temptation of Christ, and this is temptation number three. And it said, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Do you think he could actually give it to Christ? We know he's a liar, but could he do it? I think he might have made good on that promise. I think he could have established him. He is the prince of the world. The next one says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you go straight to third base to find success, you've decided who you're going to worship because you haven't even connected with God yet. You've just gone straight to third base. One more. And there it is. So here we are. But let's say we do actually try to connect with God. Air pointer. Click, there it is. And one more. We decide to play ball. Well, now the adversary is going to start throwing stuff at you. Not necessarily baseballs. But he's going to throw things at you. When you try to connect with God, as you try to develop your character, again, be on the lookout. And remember, as we're going through this, think about where you are in this cycle. Some things that he might throw at you, I can't put them all up there, but the first one would be lies and doubt. And you may hear this as you're growing in your character and your integrity and you're trying to connect with God but temptation still exists in the world. Satan is still the prince, and he's not going to really give up now because now we finally just started playing. So he's going to throw lies at you. He'll tell you that you're not good enough when you do fall and when you do stumble. He wants you to go back to the dugout. He wants you to feel like, yeah, this, this is too hard for me to do. God doesn't want you to go back to the dugout. He wants you to go back to home again. He wants you to connect with him. He says, yeah, I know. I know you're not perfect. I made you. I didn't think that you would get all the way there without making a single mistake. But Satan speaks his native language. He speaks lies. He speaks doubt. Do you think you can really do it? Do you think you can look like all those other people that you're pretending to be like right now? Because we all know that you have problems and you have doubts and you messed up. And look at them. They're all really pretty. And they have success. At least that's what it looks like. But as we grow, if we don't get thrown back out to the dugout, we continue to go and we become people of integrity and more lies and doubt. Now, I don't want you to think they all say lies and doubt, okay? They don't. I'm not that repetitive. The first two do. 
Yeah, he, well, he's the father of lies, right? He's the one who told the first one, and he's been telling them ever since. So to think that he would ever stop doing that. Um, what that might look like, he might tell you, um, did you really get first base? Like, did you tag it, or did you miss it with your foot? Because you're not going to score if you don't. Do you really have a person of, in- are you really a person of integrity? And as you come into this community, I mean, the one that speaks to me is marriage. For a number of years, I thought, man, if my wife knew who I was, because I was not a man of integrity when we got married, like, by a long shot, I wasn't. If she knew who you really were, would she even love you? Would she, they would just reject you and they would throw you out. Lies and doubt is what he's going to give you. But if you continue to have that faith, if you have to continue to persevere in God, if you have that shield of faith that can take down these attacks of the enemy and realize that no one in this room is perfect, that no one has gotten it right 100% of the time, you've probably gotten it wrong more than you've gotten it right, but you persist and you press on towards the prize. And we keep going and we keep going and we keep going. And you ultimately build community. And when you build community, you start going towards success. You see, you have to have community. God created community. He created the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was all three of them together. He was the inventor of community. We weren't meant to be alone. We weren't meant to do it the right way. The Bible tells us in various places that we're, that we're all parts of one body. As we play this team, we are all parts of one body. We're in a community. If you're a Christian, you're completely on your own. I don't know, who, I don't know if anyone was here for my last time. I talked about the toenail. I don't remember Some people are just a toenail. A toenail sitting there by itself ain't going to do anything. It's important, but by itself, it's not really going to do anything except make my wife angry because I clipped my toenails in the bathroom and didn't pick them up. (laughs) I'm getting pretty good, though. I don't know where she's at, but I don't think I do that anymore. Okay. Um, So we have community. Uh, God says where two or three come together in his name, there he is. But if there's just one by himself, what's that going to do? But we can't be in a strong community, and we can't be in the church if we're just telling lies to everybody, if we don't have that integrity. If we've never done that, how effective are we going to be in a community where no one really even trusts you anyway? If we're truly on a mission together, I have a little bit of time serving in the military in the chaplaincy, and I got to see guys on mission together and see the brotherhood of the military. I'm telling you, when bullets are flying at your faces, and the stories that I've heard from these guys, I've never had a bullet fly at my face before, but you don't care if it's like the Dodgers or the Angels. I'm sorry, from, I'm from Southern California, I don't know. You don't care if it's the Raiders or the Niners because you're on a mission together and there's something way more important going on than all the little things that we have going on in our lives that seem important. But me and you, I mean, Scripture tells us, what did it say? We're on a mission together against the kingdom of hell. Like that is, my goodness, that is huge. Pride and fear are going to come with success. You're either going to think, wow, look how good I am, I did it. Or you're going to be afraid. Because in order to have success, you usually have to risk something. If you want to start a business, you're going to have to risk finances. If you want to start a support group for moms of preschoolers, my wife does that, the mops thing, you're going to have to sacrifice your time. You're going to have to give something up. And that could bring about fear. But as we win results, as we win success, now I don't want to think that um, winning results means you're rich. That's not what this whole thing's about. It's about God's glory. 
and not our own personal wealth. But with that, it could be finances. It could be a whole host of other things. It could be winning in discipleship. It could be winning in a whole bunch of other godly things. It's however God created you, and he created you for a specific purpose and a specific task. And you'll find success at doing that if you have the character and you have the community, whatever it is that he's made you for. If he's made you to be a leader in business so that you can reach out to other people and disciple them, then that's great. If he made you, I heard the story of a, um, a baseball player. He was a pitcher, unnamed. They didn't tell who he was, but he earned a, had a contract for $8 million a year, and he wanted to quit everything and go be a missionary, which is kind of cool. You think about it like, man, you'll leave it all, right? And the advice that he got from his pastor was, are you kidding me? Like, you make $8 million a year. Do you know how many missionaries you could support? About a hundred, like just by yourself. Go buy a trailer and live in that and support, and, and support missionaries and serve God that way. Because sometimes finances are that way we can support. Other times it's getting up and doing something. And our last one, I like to copy myself. Third to fourth. Yes, it's pride and fear. It's fear on this side. It's lies on this side. Satan is both. Fear is not of God. So what does that mean to look like when you, when you have success, giving it back to God, there's fear? What might that look like? Like you have success and you have to give it away to somebody else? Can we let go of it? Can we trust that that he'll actually give it back. The next scripture we have, so store up your treasures in heaven where the moths and the rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. When we give it back to him, Paul talks about in, in one of his letters having a, uh, a heavenly account. And he says, I want to help fill your heavenly account. When we give the glory back to God, we're giving him what's his, and his blessings will return. And so the, the main story I want to look at here is the next one, and I'm going to read through all these next slides so we can just keep cruising. This is what they call the parable of the talents. Uh, this is the NLT version, so it does not use the word talents because no one knows what a talent is other than the talent of, uh, you know, sports or something that I don't have. Um, a talent is a, it's a measure. It's about 75 pounds. Um, but NLT just calls them bags, so this is the parable of the bags. Uh, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called his servants together, uh, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. He divided it according to their Abilities. So he must have known them. Uh, he knew, maybe, he, he analyzed his risk. Smart thing to do. If you're going to leave, you don't just give it. If, you, if there's one guy who you know is going to rock it, yeah, give him a lot because you know he'll do it. But you might want to find out if the other ones are going to do well too. And so for maybe one of them, you think, yeah, I think he's a good guy. Let's give him two. And then this last guy, you're like, I'm not really sure. Is he a person of integrity? We'll find out. Let's give him one. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Probably not a good idea. For a guy who obviously has a lot of money, he's really good at making it, and he probably wants to make more. After a long time, the master returned to his, from his trip, I suppose that would say, and called them to give an account of how they had used the money. The servant whom he entrusted with five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling these, this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Now, it says a small amount, but he actually was given five talents, um, and there's a little bit of uncertainty of how much of five talents actually is, but they figure it would be at least the wage of one person per year, so I would say that's at least like a quarter million dollars that he was given um, if we're looking at it from this American today's economy. That's a small amount. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> uh, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I think that that's thing, that thing that, man, as, as we think of being servants, like, oh, that's the one thing you want to hear, like, come on and let's celebrate. Like, I did it. Uh, the servant who had received, this, is, this part's interesting, the servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you have gave me two bags to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. What was the difference between what he said to the first and the second? Nothing. That's right. You all got it right. It's absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing was different. He said the exact same thing. Five, two, doesn't really matter. Let's check out the next one, though. Uh, the servant with one bag of silver, you all probably know this doesn't end so well. The servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops where you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. He was afraid. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I mean, it doesn't say how long he was gone, but it says he was going for a long trip, and all this guy did was just bury a silver coin in the ground. And the day he came back, he dug it up, and that was it. <laughs> wicked, lazy servant. Yeah, I'd say so. You wicked, lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I did not plant and gathered crops that I did not cultivate, why didn't you just deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, here's the sad part, and this is the last scripture we're going to look at, yikes. Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The end. <laughs> Yikes. Ugh. That doesn't sound so good. So we can learn something from that. One, I think this is a parable that Jesus told. It, well, it is a parable he told. I don't think it is. It's in the Bible. Um, but he told this to the servants in his house, to those who called themselves servants. The difference with the first two were that they multiplied what they were given, and God said that they were faithful. The last one multiplied absolutely nothing. So when we get to that third base and we think uh, success, so you've gotten to first and you're like, I have integrity, and then, and then you've gotten to second base and you're like, I, I'm winning with people. I have great relationships for a Christian, that probably means I'm plugged in with other believers and we have community with each other because that's what we were made to do. 
but there's fear of going to third because you're afraid of what you're going to lose. But third base isn't optional. You have to touch third in order to go home. For those of you who don't know baseball, it's got to be one, two, three, all the way home. If your foot doesn't tag the base, it doesn't count. So multiplication is not really an option. Multiplying the gift that God has given us is not, is not really an option. So that's what it looks like. Those are some of the things that you might see as an attack from the enemy on someone who's walking with God. You're going to see lies. You're going to feel doubt. There's going to be perhaps issues of pride, perhaps issues of fear. And again, I didn't cover everything in 30 minutes and reveal all the truths about who our opponent is. That would be quite difficult. But those are some of the big ones. And so my question is, where are we on there? What base are we at? And are we moving forward or are we moving back? I think there's people from, uh, I imagine just in this room, we can cover pretty much all of those different places. To the people who come to church and they think, wow, like, I think God's real, but I'm not exactly sure. And that's okay because, Matt, like I said, I was there for a long time. I was there for a long time. You might, you might doubt if God's existence is really real in a world so broken as we live in today. Is God even real? You may be just starting out, becoming a person of integrity. You may be trying to figure out how you ran to third base first, and you got to try to figure out how to get back. And that's easy. You just go home. Now, the gifts, that you, the talents, and the things that you have are probably, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to peg it on you, but I mean, if, you don't, if you're not a person of integrity and you don't have that strong community, the things that you have are probably things that God may not want, um, just because you can give a lot. Um, if you're not a person of integrity, you've got to start to question, let's come home and connect with God and find out what he, want, he needs for me to do right now. And so with that, I'd take, like to take a time to uh, just let us all self-reflect in prayer. And so I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to give you a moment to pray on your own. Lord, it is no, uh, no easy task sometimes in connecting with you and living the way that, uh, that you would have us live, Lord. Where you want to grow us from the inside and you want to push us and stretch us and turn us into something that looks a little bit more like you, Lord, that you could use us in this world. Lord, I pray that you would reveal uh, to my heart and, and to everyone else here, Lord, where we are. Where we are in this struggle, Lord, as we play this game, uh, as it's represented by this baseball field that we're on right now, Lord. Where are we at? And where's the enemy? And how's he trying to take us down, Lord? I pray that you would help us to see this as something deathly serious. That though it's something that we can't see, it's everything. Because in the end, we know that everything will turn to rust and it will go away. And the only thing that lasts is your kingdom and whoever is there with you. So just take a moment and let God speak to your heart. Prayer is sometimes just listening and being still. Letting God's Spirit convict you.
pray for each and every person here tonight, Lord. I pray that you would help them to see the role that they want you to play or that you, that you want them to play in your story, Lord, in your amazing story of the redemption of humanity and bringing the lost back to you, Lord. We know that you can use us each in a mighty way, Lord. I pray that you would just reveal yourself no matter where we're at, Lord. If we're the ones questioning, if we're the ones who can't figure out and just feel worthless, or if we're the ones that are finding success, Lord, help us to give that back to you. Lord, you are great, you are mighty, and we are honored that you would give us breath, that we could breathe in and out each time, Lord. And we thank you for each sun that comes up to remind us that your work is not done, Lord, and that you need us to go out and to make disciples in our community and around the world, Lord. We're humbled and honored to be servants in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. So I'd like to send you out with the blessing. And it is that the Lord bless you and keep you and that he would make his face to shine upon you so that you could be a mirror in this world, in this place of darkness. Because this is a pretty dark place. The world is full of darkness, but each one of us can be that mirror that reflects God's light to the world. That we can shine in on situations that are tough, that we can share the gospel of faith and hope and that we can bring other brothers and sisters with us to the heavenly place where Revelation says we're all going to be sitting around his throne singing praises to God. May you go out and be the workers. The harvest is ripe. Do not let fear, do not let lies stop you. Let's go forth and eat. And we'll see you next week.